verse 26 through 38, and then we'll just step back and we'll, we'll talk about it. But maybe I should pray before we, we actually do that. So before I get ahead of myself, let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to uh, look at your word, to focus our hearts on it and what you have to teach us this morning and this season. We're grateful for uh, all that you have to teach us. We pray that you'd help us here with the, the right set of ears and receive with, with hearts that have been changed by you. So God, we, help, we pray for your help today and we ask it in your name. Amen. Okay, so Luke 1, verse 26 through 38 says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this is a familiar story, right? We've, we've been in the church for a while through through the Christmas season. I'm sure you've heard this story told in one way or another. Um, Mary is an unmarried woman, young woman, who's uh, betrothed, or we would use the word engaged, but it was a little more than engaged. It was kind of a legal agreement for marriage uh, to a guy named Joseph, who was of the house and lineage of King David. Though the line of David had been broken by this point, there wasn't a king in Israel Excuse me. There was a, uh, a faux king named Herod, but he was a prop of uh, the, the Roman emperor. There was no king sitting on the throne of David. And yet here's this obscure man named Joseph who's betrothed to a woman named Mary. They're living in a little town called Nazareth, a town of only a few hundred people in, um, in a northern region of Israel called Galilee. And this angel appears to Mary and tells her, that she is going to have a child, but it's not going to be through the natural way of having children. It's, it's going to be miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit's work and that this baby would be holy and would be able to sit on the throne of David forever and ever. Pretty astounding to think that this, this happened to a, a woman who is totally unknown to ev almost everybody except her immediate family and her people who lived in her town. Like she wasn't a famous person. She was uh, obscure and, and uh, a simple person, probably lived in poverty um, 
and, and she, yet she was given this incredible news. But what I want to focus on, even though there's so much in this text that we could talk about and focus on, um, I want to talk about grace in this text because it's there. Even though the word grace is not there, um, it is actually there. It's just not translated as grace. If I, I want to focus our attention primarily on this introduction to uh, this conversation with the angel in verse 28, where this angel Gabriel appears to her and said to her, here's what he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Um, that word favored is the same word for grace. It's translated favored instead of grace because in the English language would make that kind of awkward, right? To say, oh, graced one wouldn't uh, work real well in our, in our modern language. And so they, they translate it favored and that's, that's okay because being favored is what grace is. That's the, that is what grace is. If, you're, if you've been in the church a while, you've probably heard some pastor somewhere say that grace is defined as unmerited or undeserved favor from God. That's what it is. It's a gift from God that shows us favor and gives us all the good that we don't deserve. And so for this word to be translated favor, it works better in the in the greeting as we translate it from Greek into English, but it is the same word. It's there. And, and what this angel is saying is to, to this woman named Mary is, you are graced. You have been given grace. He says it again in verse 30. So the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That could be translated very easily as you have found grace with God. You have been given grace from God. And so that is how the whole story of Jesus starts. By this young woman who is not married, who has no status, who is not prominent, who is not wealthy, being told by an angel that she, is go that she has been given grace and that grace is going to be displayed for her in her role in bringing the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to our world. And so we, we see that grace is mentioned here twice. It's, it's translated as favor or favored in this text, but that's what it is. It is the undeserved, unearned favor of God through the work of Jesus Christ that Mary experienced and that we also, as we enter into relationships with Jesus, get to experience as well. Mary is uh, probably, it's probably worth talking about this a little bit because I know many of you have come from uh, Catholic backgrounds and that's okay, welcome. Like you're, we're glad you're here, like really are. And, and I know that many of us know a lot of Catholics and some of us were Catholic and aren't anymore or whatever it might be, but we, I should acknowledge that Catholicism has a, has a strange theology of Mary that isn't actually biblical in this case. I'm not saying that all of Catholicism is all wrong. It's not. But uh, on this issue, it is. Um, they have a view of Mary that isn't in Scripture. And it's the view that basically they would say that Mary was 
uh, conceived sinlessly, that she herself was a sinless person. And that's what qualified her to be the mother of Jesus. The problem with that is it's not in the text anywhere. It's not in the scriptures. It's not taught in any way. It was actually just decided by Pope Pius IX in 1860-something. And he decided it was kind of, you know, something that was being debated among Catholic scholars and theologians for a long time. And he just sort of made the decision, okay, yeah, we'll just call Mary sinless. Uh, And from there, you have a really wild theology of Mary and people praying to Mary. And I think Mary would probably be horrified at that concept if she if she's in heaven so she doesn't care but um she would be she'd be horrified if she knew what was happening because there's no indication in this text that mary was sinless in fact the opposite is true we can we can see from her response to the angel's message at least if not directly like explicitly we can certainly see it implied in her response Look at what she says, or look at what the, the text tells us in verse 29. So 28, it says, Greetings, O favored or graced one, the Lord is with you. And verse 29 says, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Why would she be troubled at the saying? Well, I think, the, I think that's actually getting to the heart of what we what we need to see about grace today is that grace should trouble us. It should trouble us because we know deep down, and maybe not even that deep down, but we know in our heart of hearts that we don't deserve grace. We haven't earned it. And, and we can see in Mary's response this, this internal trouble. We don't have any words from her mouth on how she articulated that trouble, but she was troubled at the saying because I think I would I will go out on a limb and say she knew who she really was and she understood that she didn't deserve that title and that there was something there that she is bothered by I think we can understand this when when somebody if you've ever had this happen to you I, I don't know but where somebody just like really talks you up like they really like you and they're telling all their friends how great you are. It's never happened to me, but maybe it's happened to you, um, right? And, and you just kind of squirm a little bit. You're uncomfortable with it because it's like, that. I, I, no, you're like, you're, over, you're overblowing this thing. Like we're, we know ourselves, right? We know that we don't deserve to be, you know, elevated and lifted up. We're just, we're just people. We're just normal people. Most of us get that. Unless we're really narcissistic, we get that. And most of us have a shred of, of a humility in us to go, I mean, I appreciate the compliment, but I'm not, I'm not all that. I'm not really that important. And that seems to be how Mary's responding to this and going, wait a minute, I, you're calling me graced, you're calling me favored, and that you're telling me that the Lord is with me. She's like, but I, don't, I, I think you might've gotten the wrong address here. I don't know that you have the right person here. Um, probably because she knows in her heart of hearts that's not, it's not accurate. And, and that's the thing about grace. It, to be called favored from God, to be given this favor of grace, this blessing of grace, should land on all of our hearts and go, wait, that, 
no, that doesn't line up. I know how wicked my thoughts are. I know how much resentment I hold. I, I know how evil I can be. I, I know that this is not lining up. And, and honestly, that is the whole thing. That's why grace is amazing. That's why we sing the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When we know ourselves, when we know who we really are without Jesus, grace lands on us differently. We, we don't have to pretend that we have everything figured out. We don't have to perform. We don't have to wear masks. We can be the sinful people we are knowing that Jesus Christ loves us and saved us. And that doesn't mean we want to stay wallowing in our sin, right? But it does mean that we receive his grace apart from anything that we do. I know that there's a, a, a sense in which culturally that's not really how we're told to think about ourselves or talk about ourselves. We're told to talk about ourselves in a way that's very affirming these days. There, there was an old SNL skit back in the 90s. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched SNL back in the 90s. It wasn't funny then either, but, um, but, but it was... There was a skit that they played a bunch called Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. Did you ever see that one? Um, it was um, Al Franken's character, Stuart Smalley, and he was a, he was a uh, amateur uh, TV host. He just sort of held, had this little like PBS type of, of show, and it was called Daily Affirmations. And the start of every show, he would look in the mirror. He had this giant mirror next to him. He'd look in the mirror and he'd say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And then he would turn to the camera and have this train wreck of a show that was just awful, right? Um, but he would have all this self-talk. And that was funny in the 90s, and now it's like, well, yeah, that's just how we're supposed to live, right? Um, and that's, that's really where we are, where we, we shouldn't, culturally we're being told, we shouldn't talk down about ourselves. But if you don't understand who you are, apart from the grace of God, the grace of God will mean nothing to you. We are sinners. We are not naturally in a state of reconciliation with God. We are, outside of grace, enemies of God. We have to recognize that because when we do recognize that, then grace becomes all the more glorious. Mary seemed to understand this. Her response to the angel's message was trouble. Are you troubled by grace? Are you troubled by the concept of grace? That God would show you something of favor and give you all of the good that he has in himself and yet you don't deserve a bit of it. That should trouble us. Not to the point that we don't respond to it, but it should trouble us to know that, that this doesn't line up, this doesn't match with who we really know we are. Mary understood it. Jesus taught that we should understand his work in this way. And if you just turn a couple pages over to Luke 4, Jesus is preaching at the very beginning of his ministry, starting in verse 16, 
He's been uh, baptized. He starts his ministry. He goes to preach the first public sermon in his home synagogue in Nazareth. And it says, and he came, verse 16, verse chapter 4, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because it has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And, it, and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? we see Jesus get into his first public teaching role at his home synagogue in Nazareth. People who have known him his whole life. And he stands up to read from the book of Isaiah and he finds this passage and he reads it out loud. And the passage is this, that the Lord has anointed him to do several things, to proclaim good news to the poor to the spiritually poor, those who could never afford God's grace, this good news is given to them. To set or to proclaim liberty to captives, to those who had no power to free themselves from sin's bondage, the grace of God is proclaimed for freedom to them. To the recovering of sight to the blind, to those who have no spiritual eyes to see, God gives sight. And to those who are oppressed, who are being trodden down by the power of sin, are set free by liberty through Christ and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's grace on those people. That's the ministry of Jesus. He read it. He sat down. He said nothing about it except that everybody was looking at him and going, you're going to add to that at all? And all Jesus had to say was, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. What Isaiah said hundreds of years before, Jesus fulfills by grace. And so that is what we need to recognize is that we are the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. And yet God's grace comes to us through Jesus and gives to us freedom and sight and healing. Grace, that whole thing should trouble us in some regard. We see it in Mary's response. We see Jesus teaching this. We also see the Apostle Paul understanding this as well. And you don't have to turn here if you don't want, but 1 Timothy 
chapter 1, towards the end of Paul's life, he wrote this letter pretty late to his, uh, to his friend Timothy. And here's what he says as he walks through his life. Here's, here's how Paul responds to this grace. It says in verse um, 12 through 16, it says, I thank him who gives me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Meaning he was on the other side. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom, Paul says, I am the foremost. I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See how Paul, at the end of his life, he didn't, he went through life, he grew, he matured. You can actually see it in his writings. You can see it in Galatians, where Paul basically is talking about the apostles, the other apostles, James and Peter. And and he says, yeah, you know, those guys, people said they were influential, but really they didn't add anything to me. Like that was kind of a proud thing for Paul to say. But then as he continues to mature, you see Paul writing in other letters and going, you know, actually, uh, Jesus came to save sinners and I'm actually the worst of them. You see a trajectory in Paul through his life and that's the trajectory that we should see as well. Like we should be on one hand maturing and growing in Christ and yet on the other hand, growing more deeply in our understanding of our need for him. We should never outgrow grace. How could we even imagine such a thing? Grace just becomes more and more beautiful to us the more we recognize our need for it. So we see in in Luke, Mary's response was trouble. But the response of the angel is words of comfort. And here's what this passage teaches us about grace. Let's look at verse 30. After she's troubled by the saying, it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever." And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Fair question. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her with her who was called barren. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. So the first thing we see in this text is that grace should trouble us because we should know how deep our sin runs. But the second thing this text tells us and what this angel assures Mary of is that grace does not come from us and it's not within us. It comes to us through Jesus. This is what Jesus, this is what the angel is telling Mary that the grace of God will be uh, displayed in her through this birth, through this baby who is going to come into the world through her. It says, you will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus and he will be great. He will be on the throne of David. He will be the son of the most high. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. His kingdom will have no end. Right? And so we see in this text that the grace of God comes to us in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. We only receive grace because this man was born as a baby in Bethlehem and grew up in Nazareth. And then that baby was raised into a man who lived a sinless, perfect life living that life in our place, on our behalf, and then going 30-some years later to a cross, dying in the place of sinners, and then being raised from the dead. If it wasn't for this man, Jesus, there would be no grace. Jesus Christ is God who became man, who was born miraculously of the Holy Spirit's work, and then lived and died and rose again. Again, we see the Apostle Paul talk about this in in the letter to the Galatians in chapter chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2. Here's what he says. Let me get there. A couple more pages here. There we go. It says, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, meaning I don't make it worthless. For if, the, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You see what Paul says, he's saying simply this, that grace can't be in us, it can't be from us. It has to come to us from outside. Because if we could somehow muster the strength to obey the law, then Jesus would never have needed to die. But Jesus did die. He died for us. He gave himself for us, for you, for me. (laughs) Paul personalizes it, says he loved me and gave himself for me. You and I can say that as well. And so Jesus was outside of us, came for us, died for us, so that we didn't have to continue struggling to obey God perfectly through the law, which was impossible for us to do. I know so many people think that our right standing with God is purely based on our ability to maintain 
the righteousness in ourselves. And we, we have a lot of people, religious and irreligious, who think that as long as your good outweighs your bad, at the end of the day, if there is a deity out there, if there's some God out there, he's going to weigh the scales and go, well, you tipped it a little bit towards good, so I guess we'll, we'll be fine. The New Testament blows up that whole concept. We can never do enough or be good enough in ourselves to be right with God. Grace has to come to us from outside of us and apply righteousness to us that isn't ours, but is, the, is actually Jesus Christ's righteousness. This is what theologians call imputed righteousness. It's righteousness from outside that has been placed upon us. And that's what Paul is affirming in Galatians 2. That's what the New Testament points us to, is that all of this grace is from Jesus, through Jesus, and then, a given, and then given to us as a gift. Okay, one more thing to talk about. And it's in verse 38 back in Luke 1. It says, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So you see, a, you see some transition in Mary, right? From being troubled to then being kind of intrigued by how this is all going to work to being assured by the angel of how it's going to work and her response then is I'm a servant of the Lord let it be according to your word what this shows us is this that grace when it takes root in our lives it changes us it does it makes us it turns us away from being enemies of God to being servants of God. Heart, a heart, a human heart that has been changed by grace is a heart that longs to serve the Lord no matter what that looks like. Mary obviously had a very different calling on her life than you or I do. She was unique in the sense of her role in bringing redemption into the world. No one else is going to take that role. She took, she took that role. That was her calling. But each of us, all of us, have uh, the same transformation that needs to take place in our hearts. As grace takes root, our lives should actually long to serve him and be like him and help others to know him. Grace changes us. It transforms us from the inside out. We can't be changed from the outside in, which is what we, we just talked about. But once we are changed from the inside out, we see a difference in our lives. One more quick passage to look at and then we'll close. It's in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Paul gets at the heart of this, telling us how grace transforms people. Let's look at verse 11 of Titus 2. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That is, all kinds of people. Every kind of person can get in on this. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. What is training us? The, the grace of God is training us to do some things 
to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So on the negative side, grace tells us what not to do, but also then what to do. And it says to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, here's the key, who are zealous for good works. The grace of God has appeared through Jesus, training us to renounce what is wrong and to embrace what is right, not as a way to earn grace, but because grace is at work in our lives. We don't work for grace, but we work because of grace. Grace appears in our lives through Jesus so that we are changed people who turn away from the garbage of our, of our internal sin and external world, and we turn towards Jesus to become zealous for what is good and what he has for us. Grace transforms us. That is foundational. Now listen, grace isn't going to change you entirely instantly. It is a lifelong process. It is a lifelong process. You're not going to wake up just instantly after becoming a follower of Jesus and be perfect. Hasn't happened for any of you yet. It's still a work in progress. That's okay. That's the, that's the thing. That's how it works. We have time to live our lives increasing and growing. We're not expected to do all things always right. What we are expected to do is when we do what is wrong, to turn from it and repent and come back to Jesus for his grace. To be empowered by his grace again to live the lives he's called us to do. We are still kind of walking in a clunky way towards that goal. We fall and we stumble. We're still learning how to run. But by God's grace at work in our lives, we will increasingly become more and more able to live like Jesus. It's still happening though. We're still working at it. But we're not working at it because we have to earn that's so, that's so key. We're not working at this so we can earn. We've been given freely the grace of God, which then empowers us to be changed. You see Mary's change in her response. She's troubled, and at the end she goes, goes all right, I'm all in. I'm in. That's how it should be for us too. When grace comes to our lives, we should be troubled at it. We should go, wait, wait, what? That's not, that doesn't seem to line up. But once we embrace it, we believe it, we trust in the, in the person who brings that grace to us, Jesus Christ, then we go, all right, I'm all in. And I'm not going to be perfect at it, but I'm going to keep pursuing Jesus. That's the heart of this. And as we think about this for the Christmas season, it is so easy for us to fall into mental traps that go, I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. I haven't earned enough. I've got to make sure my kids have this perfect Christmas that is never going to disappoint them. 
we're just setting ourselves up for failure. We need to recognize that Christmas is about grace. It's about stumbling through life with Jesus, knowing that he will continue to pick us up and carry us where we need to be. And he will continue to put us back on our legs and allow us to walk by grace. Be encouraged in this because Jesus Christ came into the world to reconcile you to God. And he does that not because you deserve it and not because you've earned it, but because he loves you. That's, that's all it is. He loves you. And so that's why he set his grace on you. Let's be encouraged in that today. Let, let, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for, for loving us and sending Jesus into this world to be for us the king that we need to be for us our savior. We pray, God, that our hearts would be transformed by grace, that you would help us to recognize the areas where grace needs to continue to grow and that you would give us a heart for that, to trust in you and to believe that you'll do it. God, we pray now that as we remind ourselves of your goodness to us, that that we would walk out of here as people Um, eager to be servants of the Lord, not in a way to earn, but because we've already been given everything. So God, we pray for these things and we ask it in your name. Amen.